Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. It's opening day at Oshkosh, and there's a lot to do, a lot to see. So we are going to spread to the four corners of the show and go look for interesting stuff, and uh, we'll try to grab a few sound bites along the way and give you an idea of what we're seeing and, and who we're talking to. So I'm here with Randy. Randy just made it into Oshkosh. You said you came from Broadhead. Yeah, spent the weekend in Broadhead uh, for the Pete Pole reunion. Uh, Lent up early this morning. Came up here during the mass chaos arrival. Yeah, and, and when you say mass chaos, is that a euphemism for it's kind of sort of busy, or or is it like <laughs> clogged? Uh, it's uh, everywhere you look's an airplane, and everybody trying to run over you. <laughs> type of deal. <laughs> well, the problem is that you and your five thousand closest friends all decided to come in today. That's that's true. <laughs> well, I'm glad you made it. Um, we uh, we actually we, we heard on the on the tower frequency. We heard you tell the tower you were running low on fuel. So they said. Clear the airport. We got a Sonics that needs priority handling, and they rolled out the red carpet for you. They actually did. I was surprised. I, yeah, they were going to put us in one more hole, and I didn't think I had fuel left to do another hole and then still get in. So, yeah, they, they actually uh, treated me well. Good deal. So, um, are you are you camping on the grounds? Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, if you need some place to hang out, we're going to be in Camp Sonics. We'll probably go do uh, dinner at SOS Brothers uh, tonight. So, if you don't have other plans, you're welcome to come hang out with us. And Drink beer over there, and oh, sounds like a party. And uh, and I hope to see you on Wednesday over at Wayne's at the party. Hi, this is Mike Diedenthal from Sonics Podcast. I'm here with Ryan Braun of UAvionics. He has the uh, Echo products and the uh, Sky Beacon, the Sky Beacon, which is the certified version. And I just wanted to get a couple of questions from you. Uh, What's about your product, and what can you tell me, and what, what's the advantages of this one, and also the certified side? Yeah, well, we've we've quite a few products. We've started in the certi- or in the experimental space, uh, and have been shipping products there for several years now. Uh, we do a wide variety of ADSB receivers, uh, some which, of which we've sold on our own over time, and some which we have a partnership with Foreflight uh, that they market. Uh, but I, have, I do. I have Foreflight. The ADSB out solutions we have uh, have been very popular in the experimental space, and that includes the Echo line, uh, which is the Echo UAT is our biggest seller there, and that's that's really kind of the all singing, all dancing device, in that it uh, interfaces with quite a few different uh, types of EFIS systems that are popular, like in, Grand in Rapids or space. exactly, or Dynon or just uh, yeah, Grand Grand Rapids uh, advanced flight technology. Uh, even some of the certified systems as well. Uh, Dynan has their own protocol that they use for ADSB. We actually manufacture 
Dynan's ADSB receivers for them. So we just a little different way. Into yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we do work with quite a few of the manufacturers at various levels uh, because there are only so many people that are able to right now manufacture this kind of complete suite right, of right. Uh, ADSB GPS technologies. So the Echo UAT is a very popular product. Uh, and in the experimental space, it's great because people are wiring their own systems in generally. Uh, the shop costs aren't as big of a concern, and they want to be able to hook it to two different ecosystems and really do unique uh, configurations with it. So we've tried to make it fairly flexible without being too burdensome there. Right, and Wi-Fi is with whatever is compatible. Right. Yeah, it'll speak either Wi-Fi to your iPad or uh, it can hardwire into some of these ethos systems. Okay. Uh, what we've seen in the certified market is that people want the exact opposite. They don't want the thing that's hooks to everything and is complicated to wire because of the expense Makes of sense. installing that. And we really have tried very hard to create a new solution that is not the Echo UAT in the certified space. And we, we get the question a lot, why don't you just certify the Echo UAT and the certified? Because people do like it and it works very well, but the cost to install it would still be prohibitively expensive uh, as much or considerably more than the unit itself. The, the Sky Beacon is a lot more simpler. Right. So what we've come up with is the Sky Beacon, which we kind of I guess, floated the idea of last year here at AirVenture and have been working ever since to uh, come to market both in the experimental and now the certified space. So the experimental has been for sale for some time. Uh, it's a very simple installation. It's two wires, uh, power and ground. It has Wi-Fi on it, but the Wi-Fi is only to configure it so it does not have an EDSB receiver it's just the transmit portion right. and that's what people a lot of folks really want just to be compliant they want what's my cheapest way to be compliant well the cheapest way is not tearing apart your airplane it's not ripping out your headliners installing new GPS antennas it's having a true all-in-one solution and that's this is really the first device that we know that can do that uh, because it takes five minutes ten minutes if you're going slow to install it you put in your end number in the app and you're ready to fly and what we see is perfect very very good performance reports out of that uh, which is something the FAA continuously exactly, monitors exactly. Uh, so it's really important that we have something that just works out of box like that and you don't have to go to four flights before you get it all hooked up properly all right now for our uh, experimental group mm -hmm. what kind of money are you talking with the like say even in and out because I have right. both yeah so the uh, the experimental Sky Beacon uh, to that market, I believe right now is $14.95. I haven't been tracking this as well. We also have an in solution that goes on the other wing called Sky Sensor. So uh, because of the ease of installation of this, this is something I think is, will be popular in both experimental and certified. But the Sky Sensor integrates ADS-B in, uh, pressure altitude, uh, AHARs, right. and so it, it will Wi-Fi to your fourth flight or FlyQ or any of those okay. apps. Uh, so that, that solution, I believe, right now is in the $700 range for the in and about $1,500 for the out. Okay. Uh, we'll be looking to also certify or are working to certify that in solution okay. uh, as well so that people can get their matched pair right. uh, because this does replace your navigation light. And I don't, exactly. We didn't really talk about that here. Right. Yeah. Sure. Listeners can't see it, but sure. uh, it's, a, it's a navigation light replacement. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. So it has navigation light, anti-collision strobe, sure. and really just uh, replace what you have That's awesome. All right. Well, uh, thanks for all your information, and uh, hopefully uh, all of my guys out there will check this thing out yeah, for you avionics. Appreciate right. you stopping by. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah.
This is John Gillis, uh, Sonics Flight Podcast. I'm here at uh, the Sonics booth with Mark Shabel. Um, I'm going to ask Mark about what happens when I want to take my A model way X and turn it into a B model way X and what it takes. Mark. Hey, John. Yeah, so you'll, you, for, in your case, you're going to drill out a lot of rivets. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, for most people converting, uh, it's usually a project that isn't quite that far along yet. Um, but the conversion is fairly straightforward in that it's basically the entire forward fuselage that's changed. Um, so we actually have a set of directions that uh, shows you where the starting point is for the conversion. You may have to construct your legacy uh, kit up to the starting point, or you may have to drill out some parts to get back to the starting point. So in the case of a flying Sonics, can you build the whole fuselage forward? on a stand and continue to fly your plane and then when you're ready to do the grafting you cut off the nose and graft on the new one? You can do quite a bit of that. When we put together uh, the kits in our in our quick build shop we typically, um, as many builders know, will do the tail cone separately and the forward fuselage separately. So you can certainly make a lot of progress on your B-model forward fuselage before you get to the point where you have to graft it to the tail. Um, the wing conversion kit is very straightforward. It's just a matter of trimming the wing skins uh, to get the taper uh, out of the wing skins at the root, and you'll change some of the root ribs and that uh, machine root rib fitting uh, at the root of the wing. Uh, so you can take an existing set of wings and easily convert it uh, to be model. Now the current wing model or the the wing bolts are inside of where the the fuselage will be. Do you maintain those same? Uh, we'd have to re-rig or use those same wing. Bolts, the they are going to, uh, they, they do not change their position in the B model, which actually is nice. It gives a little more clearance to the fuselage side uh, for doing that drilling and getting those getting those fasteners in there. Um, you will need to re-rig um, because the Ford fuselage is all new parts. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, with, with an existing set of wings that has already been wing rigged, you'll be changing the mount blocks, uh, getting a, a new set of mount blocks in there. Okay. And then what else do you get with the conversion kit? Um, is it all the hardware? Is it all the the controls? The basically, as if I'm going to cut off the nose of mine and not use any parts on it. Yeah, the the you get pretty much everything with the conversion kit in terms of uh, controls, hardware. Um, just like the regular kits, the cowling and mo- and uh, motor mount are separately are sold separately depending on your choice of motor mount and uh, your timing. Um, that's something that uh, you know you can either buy right away or, or do it later. Um, we do uh, separate the fuselage conversion kit from the wing conversion kit, so you can amortize your project over time in terms of the spend. Um, but uh, just like our other kits, is pretty complete. Uh, we don't provide uh, the two probably the two major items we don't provide that the normal B model kit does have would be the uh, the aero brakes, the uh, uh, throttle quadrants, the trim system, because many people converting may already have those parts. What about the flaps? Because you've gone to an electric flap system in yeah. the B model. The B model conversion does have the electric flap system, okay. so you get the new torque tubes, uh, push rods, and uh, and the electric flap actuator. Okay. And then uh, landing gear would be uh, just moved over? Yeah, the landing gear you can largely use all your same parts, and that again depends on you know how far along your project is. If it's uh, if you haven't gotten to the point to mounting the gear, uh, you're going to use all the same parts. If you've got a flying airplane, you may want to change your gear legs depending on you know uh, 
Are they just out further? They're just out three, further. Three inches yeah. further? Yeah. Uh, but the same length? Same length. Okay. Um, how are, you, are you selling a lot of the conversion kits? We are, actually. We've sold a lot of conversion kits, and that was you know, something that really took us by surprise. When we came out with the B model uh, in 2016, uh, we were not planning on doing a conversion. Um, because we knew it would be a pretty significant kit. Um, the, the whole conversion kit package is about $10,000, depending on what options you choose. Uh, and we didn't think anyone would really want to do that. Uh, we took the airplane to Sun and Fun for the first time. It was the de debut of the B model. And that was all we got from existing builders was, I want this. I don't care what it costs. I want it. Yeah. Give me a conversion kit. So we got home to Oshkosh, and we got right to work and uh, came up with a conversion kit. Now, I know of one flying sonics that converted yes and he's back flying again yep um yep. have you heard any more that are doing it you know i don't i haven't heard of any more conversion kits that are that are flying yet um we don't always hear about it right away uh -huh. um you probably see on our website the oh by the way i've been flying since yeah. 2012 <laughs> um i've been starting to post those more because it's kind of fun that they're out flying and too busy having fun to let us know that they're flying but uh, i know there's some folks getting really close uh to being done and uh, like anything, when we have a new model or a new uh, adaptation to a model, um, you know, it snowballs, it gets momentum. We'll start seeing uh, completion start rolling in here. Great, great. Are you offering any show specials on the conversion? Uh, yeah, the conversion kit would qualify for the same specials as our regular sub kits. So a 5% uh, discount on the conversion kits. Okay, that's great. Okay, and what does it take, uh, what's your lead time on, on uh, if someone puts an order in during the show? Lead times right now, we're pretty, pretty booked right now. I would say for show orders, our lead time is going to be somewhere between the six and eight week range. Okay. And uh, with that, you know, maybe I might be uh, under-promising, whereas maybe we can over-deliver depending on what the kit is. Um, things like quick build kits, for instance, we're, we're booked way out right now. We're, we've got a very, very full schedule in the shop for quick builds. Uh, but well, that's a labor-intensive thing on your well, part. Well, yeah, it's, it's a very much more planned thing that involves a lot of shop labor, so, you know, we have to plan it like any other production line, whereas the kits is more about managing the inventory and the man hours to get all the kits packed and pulled and, and do all the things that we have to do in our shop to get the kits out. Is there any rush with all these aluminum tariffs and stuff to try to get an order in to get, get in place before we get hit with some expensive materials? You know, I would say this is a great time to buy for that reason um, we have not seen any real direct uh, <laughs> impact from that from our vendors but it's coming it's it's gonna come okay. and um, you know I, I, I don't think it's gonna be quite as bad as everyone might be fearing but it'll be it'll be there also keep in mind that the um, all of our kits have been uh, unchanged in price now for, for a few years. Uh, we don't, I don't have a specific price increase planned, uh, but I, but you know, the, the second half of this year after Air Venture, you know, we are going to take a fresh look at our margins on everything and make sure that we're not upside down on certain parts, which sometimes happens, uh, you know, and and uh, we'll realign everything. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I would say there's no better time to buy uh, while the prices are stable and. And aluminum is still stable in terms of what's in our current inventory and what uh, what's coming into our new inventory over the next couple of months. Well, great. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you, and, John. And uh, I want to just uh, bug you right now off offline to, to sit in it and see if I want to pull the trigger on this. Absolutely. We'll get you in it. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. Bye. I might have to... 
So I'm in the BNC booth in Hangar A, and I'm with Nathan Bainbridge from BNC. And BNC provides alternators and regulators and other various electrical components. But they have been working on a project for a replacement permanent magnet regulator. Now this is important for Sonics fires because we run PM alternators in pretty much all the engines that we fly. So having a good high quality PM alternator regulator that we can replace our other junk with is really, really important to me. So Nathan is going to tell us about the replacement project and give us a little bit of update on the status. Yeah, thanks Jeff. I uh, appreciate you coming by today and the opportunity to explain this new project to you. So we have completed the design on a permanent uh, magnet um, regulator rectifier, and this will fit the Jabru engines, Rotax engines. Uh, in addition, it'll go along with our permanent magnet alternators that we have for the Continental and Lycoming engines. And so really one of the biggest problems we have is that there's these companies putting together regulators, which uh, they don't dissipate heat very well, they don't handle vibration very well, and so we have designed a, a regulator with both of those uh, design limitations in mind. And essentially what we want to do is have guys buy a single regulator, never have to replace it, and for it to be a permanent solution for this problem. Uh, there's really no good reason something like this isn't on the market yet, but uh, we plan to introduce it. Now we do have to test the unit uh, before we can bring it to market, so we don't have a definitive uh, timeline in place yet. But uh, we are excited about the project and, and looking forward to bringing it to market soon. And I, I know you've been working on this for at least the past year, and uh, you've got some really good people that have been contributing to the design. Bob Knuckles has been uh, on our podcast, and, and he's a, a legend in the home-built electronics community. So having his credentials on your team is, uh, is, is great. We're yeah. really looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean, no, I don't think anyone has more experience in general avi or experimental aviation uh, you know, electrical system design than Bob Knuckles. And um, so he designed the regulator, and uh, I, I'm very much looking forward to a very robust design from him, and I think that'll be proven out during our testing phase. Okay, well, good deal. Um, I, I won't try to pin you down on price or, or delivery date. I'll just simply say uh, I'm sure you'll you'll tell us all about it when it's ready, and uh, you can count on, uh, on our orders coming in when it's ready. Well, thank you so much. I mean, Serving these various communities is important to us. We care a lot about our customers, and we always want to deliver a very uh, high-value product and show, you know, give our customers a great experience uh, through that. Good deal. Thanks. Hey, you bet. Thank you. Okay, this is John Gillis again with Sonic Flight, uh, Sonic's Flight Podcast. I'm at the D Motor Stand with Steve McCamey. Steve, um, our Sonics are kind of weight sensitive on the nose. So, what would be a good engine for Sonics? Well, in the weight class, probably the, we have an LF26, which is a four-cylinder, uh, 88 maximum horsepower. Uh, it's a uh, weighs about 139 pounds installed. Uh, I actually have a Fisher Dakota Hawk that I'm going to re-engine with one of those. The problem that I have is the engine is so light. Um, I have an O200 in the front of mine that weighs 225 pounds installed, and I lose 100 pounds going to the uh, LF26, but only lose 10 horsepower. Now, you're going to have to adjust your mount to be quite a bit forward to keep your CG? Well, I'm going to move the battery back to the firewall because okay. it was moved to the tail because the O200 is so heavy. Oh. Um, 
and I will probably have to move the mount forward to adjust the CG for that. What's your mount plate on that? Is it a Jabiru style mount or yeah, or the, the, the standard? The, yeah, the one that Rotax uses it, Jabiru uses it. Okay. It's um, now for those of us that want a little more horsepower than 88. What do you got? Uh, well, we've got a six-cylinder. It's a LF39, and uh, it has about. Uh, I say 120 horsepower. Um, they quote 125, but these motors come from Europe, and uh, I, I, I learned something. I've been an engineer for nearly 40 years, and um, there's a metric horsepower. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't know, I didn't know that. that either. I did not know that, but in in dealing with these engines, they were quoting a horsepower. And I was doing the conversion between kilowatts and horsepower, and it wasn't coming up with the same number. So I quote 120 okay. on these. Uh, and what's the weight on that one? On that one's 189 installed. So that's real close to what a Jabiru 3300. Actually, would be. A 30, this one, if you look at the specs for a Jabiru 3300, this one is nearly identical, except I believe we can beat the Jabiru in price and uh, in profile. It's it's actually a narrower profile than the uh, than the Jabiru because it doesn't have overhead valves. Yeah. Now that's the old flat. And in the Sonex is a very narrow aircraft. Well, now I just I sat in the B model there, and they got a nice wide cowl now. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, not an issue, but very interesting. Um, so this is all. It's a Fadec fuel injected, non-turbo. Non-turbo. So it's naturally aspirated. Uh, we're actually uh, have in the concept stages uh, turbo normalization. Uh huh. Uh, because we have the flathead design, you don't want to uh, turbocharge it uh, above. Uh, normal uh, sea level pressure, but uh, we can uh, turbo normalize. We have some drone manufacturers that are interested in it, and they need that turbo normalization to go up to altitude. Yeah. Well, I fly out of a high uh, altitude airport, and normalization is an yeah. interesting thing on that. Now, you guys, um, are you out of Canada, or uh, are, are you a U.S. distributor? Well, I am a U.S. Uh, representative. Uh, Dave Hertner. Um, is uh, the North American? He has a North American distributorship. Uh-huh. Uh, he's in London, Ontario. Okay. Uh, I'm in Fayetteville, Tennessee. Okay. And uh, right now I have most of the U.S. We're going to divide that up. I'm looking for some more dealers. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. But there'll be some a Western U.S. rep, a, a Midwest U.S. rep. Now a little bit of history on this. It looked like it had kind of stalled the development of the engine and the distribu- distribution of it. And now it's picking back up? Well, the engine development has been uh, strong in Europe. Uh, in Europe, they have a lot of, of examples. The, the, the six-cylinder was actually developed as a helicopter motor. Um, it's called the BD helicopter, not not to be confused with Jim Beatty over yeah. here. But, <laughs> but they call it the, the BD helicopter, and uh, it uses the LF-39. Okay. Um, the uh, there's also a aircraft that the 26 was developed originally with the uh, aircraft called the BOT Speed Cruiser, which is a two-place LSA-sized aircraft in Europe. And um, there's several other examples, uh, and they have a lot of you know they have over 100 engines flying in Europe. Uh, they came here originally in 2013. They had a, a dealer. I won't. I'll leave nameless. Um, and it, it was a non-starter. Uh, okay. I think he... Uh, um, so that's why we haven't seen too much movement in yeah, the U.S. with this engine? Uh, they basically waited and 
and when their contact with him expired, they, they came to us and said, hey, can you, can you help us restart this? So what are you, um, are you planning on bringing in, or is this a long lead time to get an engine if someone came up to you and said, I want one at the, at the show? Uh, if somebody came up to the show and what we have is a cue. Uh-huh. As my Canadian friends like that term. Yeah. But we have a, we have a list, um, and to get on the list costs it's a thousand dollar fully refundable deposit. Uh, that buys you a place in line, a numbered place in line on the list. Uh, when we get engines in, um, we'll order them in batches from Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, when we get engines in, we will go down that list and call call people and say, okay, uh, you're next on the list. We have your engine. Are you ready to pay for it? If not, we'll go down to the next person on the list and um, until and so forth until someone says, oh, yeah, I'm ready for it. Uh, if you're not ready for the engine, you're not going to lose your place in line. You just go back to the... Yeah, you're not going to go back. You, you lose go that engine, then you get. You the, lose that engine, but but the next time we get next batch comes in, you. That's not a bad way to work again. it. And I think I that's. I don't, I don't, there's so much bad bad blood about the previous guy. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 not even going anywhere near it. So, so um, what's your lead time then? Uh, we expect right now the first shipment of engines in January of 2019. Okay. They're just in the process of building a greenfield plant over in Belgium to do all the machining work. Great. And, and whatnot. And moving out of their prototype shop. So, um, you know, the prototype shop had about a 60 engine per year capability. It's small, small and tight. So they're they're investing. And, uh, you know, down, down the road we're going to be involved in that. Great. Well, I appreciate your guys' time. And uh, we're going to have this up on our podcast probably this evening. Thanks. We'll be looking for it. Okay. Thanks a lot. So I'm here at the Sonics booth, and uh, I'm talking with another Subsonics customer. Why don't you introduce introduce yourself and tell us uh, where you're coming from? I'm Ken Halra from Enid, Oklahoma. I've got Subsonics number 008. Okay, Ken. Well, I I know you're getting close, and uh, I want to hear about your project. Okay, so you said you you just recently completed your um, your inspection. You had your maintenance manual and approved. Got the inspection and maintenance manual approved a week ago Friday got the plane inspected this past Thursday right there. Uh, And and what serial number is your subsonic? 008. 008, okay. I'm in the first group of guinea pigs here on it. Uh Okay, so uh, first flight is uh, is coming up quick. You said you're going to move it to a longer paved runway so you can do your initial it's flight test. It's possible on there. There's, I, I've got to check on the 30 day on for the temporary LOA. They allow 30 days on mm. that, and I'm right getting right to that point. So I've got to check and see now if I've got to get an extension to yeah. that or if I can continue on whatever there's. Okay, so. The LOA, um, that's what I, I really am curious about. Um, I, I would like you to just tell me the, what is involved you in get in, that. Once you go through the training with Bob Carlton and or the instructors out there, they will issue a temporary LOA on that, which is good for a certain time frame. And then you have a final check ride with Bob O'Haver, who at this point is the only FAA-approved check pilot for it as such. No. Does he come to you and do it, or do you have to uh, go back out to Moriarty? 
so far he's been coming to the individuals okay. on that. It's not necessarily cheap, but uh, you can't hire him to come to it there yeah. on the thing. If it had worked out where could have got the plane flown off in time, then I could have flown it out to New Mexico and had him do it out there on it there. But uh, mm-hmm. more than likely, I have to have him come to me there on it. Yeah. But once he comes to you, then you will get issued a certain set of procedures to perform there. Aborted takeoff, for example, on that. Uh, climb out, uh, you'll do various stalls, various banks, turns within certain designated limits. They'll put a camera in the plane to... Uh, monitor what you're doing there and then you come back and you do a low approach a boarded approach and then a full stop type of thing on it there so a certain set of maneuvers that then uh, once that's done if that's satisfactory then you're issued uh, he'll issue the permanent LOA then on yeah. it. you're good to go and I guess I should have just started this off um, Bob Carlton is the factory test pilot he runs um, a training school Oriarty, New Mexico desert aerospace he also does approved subsonics transition training through his company because he has experience in those engines that's uh, correct. You're right. And so you arrived. Uh, how long did you train with Bob? Um, it was actually with another instructor called uh, Billy Hill on okay. there, who's the one that does it most time because Bob's so busy with his yeah. uh, various flights and shows and stuff on, on that there. But uh, Billy Hill, who's right there in that area there, yeah. is the one that probably would be doing 95% of the okay. transition training there on that. Um, did it in two days. Um, first day went out, took off, we had a little thermal activity where we were able to stay up long enough to where we could do a engine retraction and extension there on it, which isn't really applicable to the subsonics on it there, yeah. but it was interesting because if you go through all that, then it's possible you can get your motor glider endorsement then yeah. right there at the same time yeah. on there. So we were able to do that, then uh, did came in and did five landings on it there, and then next day come back and repeated things and did another five on it, and it was going pretty well at that point. Then okay. on, so that was sufficient then for me. Any particular challenges, or if you just are you ready to fly and it's not, not going to be a problem, huh? Don't think so. After... Um, doing the taxi testing and making sure steering and brakes are working good there because yeah. on one of the things we do that's also required in the uh, final check ride for the permanent LOA is you accelerate up to 40 knots and do like you're simulating a boarded takeoff on it there so I want yeah. to do that make sure everything's uh, doing what it needs to at that point right but I guess I'm, my assumption is that if you show up to the training and you're a proficient pilot mm-hmm. um, you don't have any rust really to knock off you do not have to have a huge experience in, in complex and high performance that's, military that's jets that's correct there on that you're just on your game you're a yeah. private pilot yeah. you're current you're ready that's to go correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it days. helps if you've had some glider time yeah. just as far as because it's in a glider that you're doing the training and there are certain aspects of it that are appropriate for the subsonics uh, from the standpoint that it has the same engine on it uh, you've got the same engine monitor in there on it and then by proper use of the spoilers on approach you can simulate a profile that would be similar to the subsonics yeah okay so the training sounds like it'd be a lot of fun and not not uh, anything to worry about yeah just uh Middle of summer is not necessarily a good time <laughs> out there unless you get early morning flights. I don't know what you're talking about. Summer yeah, in New yeah. Mexico is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at about three it in can the morning. Get a bouncy when you're trying to stabilize <laughs> and trying to do a smooth flight there on it. There, you know, ordinarily you say, "Yeah, I love these bumps. We're going to thermal and go fly somewhere on it." Yeah. There. Okay. So, um, are you are you going to video your first flight? Are you going to put it on YouTube? Or? Nope. Nope. Okay. Nope. So we won't be able to see you flying on YouTube for a while. 
No. That's how you roll out the... That's correct. <laughs> that's a, make that's it official. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Okay. Well, uh, I wish you I wish you luck on your test flight. Um, Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm really eager to see all these other customer jets flying. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm working on forming a LLC or something like yep, that. a subsonic flying club mm-hmm. in yeah. Kansas City. Yeah. And so these are the same type of questions mm-hmm. that people are asking. So it's, okay. it's important to pin down some of these yeah. details. Yeah. It... Uh, this is John Gillis uh, with Science Flightcast again, and I'm with Patrick Panzera with Contact Magazine. Patrick, what do you do here at Oshkosh? Well, we publish a, publish a magazine dedicated to home-built aircraft. We also highlight alternative engines on almost every issue. Um, right now I'm in the booth where I'm just hawking my wares. We um, publish a book about every four or five years compiling our engine-heavy articles. I've got... Uh, four different volumes of the book here, plus all the back issues of the magazine, and I'm selling uh, magazine subscriptions. Great. A lot of interest in building uh, automotive conversion engines on uh, home-built aircraft? There is. This is the first year in probably five or six in a row that um, I didn't do a forum on alternative engines. Normally here at Oshkosh, I'll do an hour and a half forum, maybe sometimes two of them. And they are standing room only, and they give me a big, a big area to do it in. Um, so there's lots and lots of interest in alternative engines. Um, you get about a 50-50 mixture of people who want to do it because it's um, uh, allegedly more affordable, and others who prefer uh, the uh, better technology. You know, our certified aircraft engines, the designs have been frozen for 30, 40, 50 years, something like that, and. Um, with alternative engines, you've got options like um, uh, direct injection, um, uh, fuel injection, uh, turbochargers, uh, all sorts of fun things. Um, something that's kind of hot right now is um, the three-cylinder uh, engines. I've uh, got a rental car right now. I've had to open the hood and see what was in it, and sure enough, it's got a three-cylinder engine in it. Now, these are all water-cooled engines. Yeah, the versus vast, air-cooled models. The vast majority of all of your auto conversions are air are water-cooled, but they're also all aluminum, so they end up coming out pretty light, even with a radiator involved. Now, a lot of those to get the right uh, horsepower-torque combination, they're using redrives on them. Yeah, you pretty much have to use a redrive. The advertised horsepower on your standard automobile engine is at 5,500 RPM plus. It's too fast for a propeller. You know, with the uh, with the Sonics and some of the other smaller aircraft, we can get away with 3,400, which is insane for most aircraft that limit at uh, 25 or 2,700. Um, so if you could if you could find a uh, modern automobile engine that makes enough power and torque, um, direct drive below 3,400, and if the configuration is conducive to get the propeller where you want it, um, you know. In most cases, it'd be like an inline four, and the crank's at the bottom of the engine, so um, you wouldn't have any ground clearance at all if you stuck that in a small aircraft. But if you could get that combination, there's no reason you can't run direct drive. Now, of course, the Volkswagen engine's been direct drive forever, and uh, as well as the Corvair. Um, but there was a gentleman a few years ago who took one of those three-cylinder Suzuki Geo type of engines, and he... Um, he built it to go head-to-head with the Rotax 582, a direct drive, um, fuel-injected, and he got the weight down, and he got um, he got it working, but he had to do away with the starter. So 
lot of people are not wanting to hand prop anymore. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of a bust. But the engine worked. It worked well. It was very lightweight. Um, but there wasn't enough market for it. How are you feeling about the uh, the reliability of the uh, the PSRUs now? Are they have they got that kind of figured out with all the dampening and? No. PSRU is always the weak link in any auto conversion. Um, about the only one that uh, I'm aware of that is successful is uh, geared drives. But that's in a V8, so not going to work in a, in a Sonics or a right. uh, 1X. <laughs> How about the belt drive? That seemed to be an elegant solution. Belt drive, um, probably one of the most successful ones was uh, Jess Myers of, um, of a belted... Belted, uh, belt, belted Power Air had probably 1,100 hours on his V6 and his um, RV6, and he sold a lot of them. And but he ended up going out of business. Um, you know, it's kind of like the, the old story how to make how to make two million dollars or how to make a million dollars in aviation. You start with one million. I mean, sorry, I got that backwards. <laughs> Start with two million. Start with two million, yeah. So yeah, you just couldn't make a make a, a living at it, um, selling just redrives and and uh, engine conversions. But it was a beautiful design, worked really well. Um, but contrary to popular belief, the belts really don't. Um, um, people think that there's some elasticity to it that would help dampen some torsional vibrations and things like that. And, Really, uh, the modern belts are incredibly stiff, and they're not going to add that that damping that that you would hope they would. Uh, Lovejoy coupler is probably the best for any kind of damping that you might want to do. But like I was saying about the um, um, gear drives, or not gear drives, it was formerly grilled gear drives. Um, uh, belt. Uh, oh, I forget the name of it now. I'm sorry. That's fine. The uh, the redrive I mentioned on the V8, um, they've actually got a clutch, um, a centrifugally engaged clutch with just a pressure plate and a disc just like would be in the car. And if it starts getting any weird harmonics or torsional vibrations or whatever, the clutch will slip before it starts breaking internal parts. So that's a pretty good situ- situation there, and that's one of the reasons why that one is so popular and so, um, so robust. Okay. Do you see a lot of future in, in alternate... Uh automotive conversions right now or is people moving more towards the well what i'm seeing is the automobile manufacturers are making some incredible engines these days again i mentioned direct injection that really that's a game changer that allows you to run 13 14 to 1 compression ratio and have a little tiny engine make gobs of horsepower um the weak link is in the PSRU. Somebody needs to develop a decent uh, PSRU that um, is light and affordable and will hold up. Okay. Well, I appreciate your time, Pat. Maybe some uh, anybody that's out here, we're going to put this podcast up during the show. Okay. And uh, our uh, Sonics guys will be coming by and picking up your magazines and Okay. Well, I'm, and in, your books. I'm in Hangar C on the west wall right about the middle. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, I'm here at AirVenture 2018. I'm speaking with Mark Kettering, and he's the uh, local manufacturer, distributor, all-around good guy, I think, for Aero Momentum. Is that about right, Mark? That's about right, and thank you. All right. Um, 
Well, we do engines from 75 horsepower up to now 260. And for the Sonex, probably the best thing is our 100 or our 117 horsepower. It's pretty standard for the Sonics airframe in that range, about 100 horsepower or so. Yeah. We have a couple of customers that are already installing them. Uh, one is in a Xenos, and the other is in a regular Sonex. Um, it seems like it's going to be a good fit. We did a CAD drawing of the aircraft and with our engine into the airframe, and it looks like it'll fit real nice. Well, great. With the CAD drawing, and then you, so you've already figured out what maybe is the weight and balance and moments and arms for the engine mounts and things of that, that nature already? Uh, that's all been figured out. Uh, basically, our engine's a little heavier than the VW engine, but not that much. It's also a little bit longer, so we can mount it, but we can mount it right back to the firewall. Okay, so the, the 100 horsepower engine then, what would be the average install weight that you might think about? Well, the engine itself is 170. The complete cooling system with fluid is about 11 pounds. Okay, so in the 185-ish range, you yeah. think? Yeah, about that. Time you add a couple of wires here and there and so forth. Well, that included the wiring for yeah. the engine, but you still need the battery cable and some hoses for the fuel system. Okay, so the, the engine actually mounts fairly close to the firewall then. Yeah, as you can see on this aircraft here, we bolted it directly to the fire, firewall. Right. And on the Sonics, well, on the Sonics we use uh, mounts because of the slant of the firewall. But on the Xenos, it has a vertical firewall, so we actually just used about a two to three inch standoff to get the CG correct. And with uh, some kind of a rubber bushing for vibration dampening as usual. Or? Yes, they're the same rubber bushings as a Lycoming um, 320-360. Okay, so your engines are based on Suzuki, is that correct? Yep. Course? Okay, so what kind of modifications do you have to do then to perform to get this to, to fit for an aircraft application? Well, first off, we build the engine um, from the ground up. Uh, we may buy the 1300 as a long block, but we take it all apart. We then go in, it's a brand new engine, by the way, direct from the factory. We then go in and um, deburr everything. We radius the oil galleys, and then we clean it and we check it. Then we assemble the engine, and then we add our gearbox, um, which is 4140 chromoly gears. It's actually designed for 225 horsepower, so it's a bit of an overkill for this application. Then we put an aftermarket ECU on it uh, that we program, and we make our own wiring harness. An aftermarket ECU, so you are... Are you using all the stock uh, engine sensors that would normally be on, on the All engine? the sensors are stock okay. uh, from the Bosch system. But for some reason, the just the automotive application ECU wouldn't be appropriate? Hmm. Okay, the auto, we were using a Bosch ECU, and it's a great ECU. The problem is um, we do not have access to it, so we cannot um, change the, the program of it or... None of them you can change a program. Some you can change the flash, the the tune of the engine. But it, the most automotive ECUs are designed today to get optimum fuel economy and lowest possible emissions or to meet emission requirements. The aftermarket ECU allows us to tune for aircraft use where it's high power continuous and we don't have to meet uh, EPA standard. So yeah, it just tunes to the higher higher performance bands then, yes. instead of being uh, fuel efficiency. That makes more sense. Also, um, some automotive ones have a built-in um, uh, limp home modes and things like that, where it actually reduces your RPM or throttle. Um, 
we don't have that. We don't have to contend with trying to bypass that. You typically just use a single ECU system, or is there some kind of a backup or dual ECU program? It's a single ECU system, just like most um, engines have a single fuel injection system. Basically, our fuel system is as uh, reliable or even more reliable than a carburetor or a mechanical fuel injection. And you get the uh, ignition for free with no added um, failure points. And I would assume they're just single uh, single ignition systems, single plugs, that yes. kind of, just yep. like traditional car engine. Then. Yeah, yeah. We use iridium plugs that in cars you don't change them for 100,000 like miles. miles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good thing because they're probably $100 a piece anyway. <laughs> no, the plugs are $8 each. Oh, that's pretty good. So what about special plumbing needs? Uh, I, I know this will require a radiator cooling system. Yeah, we have radiators for it. We have, well, you can see behind me, we have a low frontal area, four core radiator. We've had a lot of people use them on other aircraft and with other engines. Some of our competitors use our, uh, our radiator. Would that be a pressurized radiator system or using like the waterless uh, coolant systems? Like Rotax, we are now, Rotax used to use the non-pressurized. They've gone to pressurized again. Uh, we prefer the pressurized water-based system. It has better heat transfer. So the traditional antifreeze. Yeah, yeah, not the Evans cooler, the Dex okay. But you have that option. Just curious, what kind of pressure what um, would we think about with 13, the piping sizes? PSI. Not real bad. So, interesting though. Why did you, why did you just decide to switch back to a pressurized system? Oh no, we've been using the pressurized the whole time. Oh, okay. uh, Rotax switched back to pressure system because they weren't able to get the cooling. Evans Cool is not sufficient. It does allow you to run a higher temperature, but the engine doesn't like to run at a higher temperature anyway. Sure, I see that. What about with the gearbox? Does it require any special plumbing as well? Is it all just self-contained? Self just kind of like a differential on a car? Like a differential on a car, uses gear oil. Uh, we've measured temperature in flight. The highest temperature we've ever seen is 165 degrees. Okay. So no special venting or no. overflows? or No, there's a vent on it. Because uh, it does get hot, it would expand. It needs to be vented, just like a rear end on a car. Kind of like a pop-off valve? Uh, no, it's just a little hose fitting, and you put the hose down to the bottom of the... So constantly the, open. Yeah, constantly atmosphere. open. Yeah. Sounds fairly simplistic, then. Mark, I know you have um, a couple of different variants of your basic engine from 100 to 140-ish horsepower. Can you just explain the differences on that? Yeah, the, the base engines use all Suzuki parts, and they are, uh, we do mix and match. We don't necessarily use the exact same combination of parts that Suzuki did. Like, for example, we use, uh, on our 1500, we use a different head that was never used on the 1500 because it provides better flow. Um, the high-performance versions, we're now uh, using mainly headwork, uh, different cam and coatings, and a different tune. And then right now, the stock version, the stock cam, the peak power is 5,800, actually a hair lower. And the new cam uh, raises the peak power to about 6,500. And we have actually dynoed our 147 horsepower at 150.2 uh, at 50, I'm sorry, at 64.50 RPMs. So your gear reduction is about 2.33 or something in that 2. range? 2.588, something, okay. something to one. Okay. 
So other than price, what is the advantage of running the lower horsepower variants? Um, are they uh, a more durable engine, or are they just a, a less expensive engine? <laughs> Basically less expensive. Okay, so uh, there's no added weight to go with the more power? No, there is a, we add an external oil cooler. Okay. Because uh, right now they're basically, uh, they have an internal passage that transfers the heat from the oil to the uh, liquid cooling. That's not quite enough, and the oil temperature gets high when you're running at the high horsepower. So external oil cooler adds seven pounds. Okay. What about pressure delivery to the engine? What kind of a system are you using that? Do you recommend using a header tank with a... I'm not uh, a fan of header tanks. Okay. Uh, so I've, straight from the gas tank, do you have to use any external fuel pressure systems, uh, fuel, uh, fuel pumps? Yes, we have. Um, okay, if you have a single tank system, it's really easy. Uh, you just put the uh, fuel from the tank to a valve, to a pre-filter, to the pump, to a post-filter, to the engine, and then a return to the tank. If you're running a dual tanks, you need to use a duplex valve in there. Okay, so it is a fuel return system. Yes, it's, so it's a not return a static system. One way, so it's, okay. And I'm not a fan of header tanks because it adds a lot of complexity. You know, first you have to guarantee flow from the main tank to the header tank, mm -hmm. and then from the header tank to the engine, and back to the header tank. And plus, engines run better with the consistently cool fuel, and the header tank would tend to get a little warm if the fuel is recirculating a lot in there. Interesting. So, Mark, for a Sonics builder who wants the 150 horse variant because right an extra seven pounds, why not? <laughs> I agree. <laughs> so, for 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 that customer, um, what what do they get from you, and what do they have to get from somebody else? So, like cowling engine mounts. I don't care about the little stuff, but what what do you what are you able to provide, and what is it on the customer to to get on their own? We can provide everything. The engine itself. Um, is just the engine with the starter alternator, um, circuit breakers, ignition switch, wiring ECU. Um, after that, uh, radiator, which we have um, fuel pumps, fuel filters, and we have a kit of everything. The exhaust system. Right now at the show, we have a special where the exhaust system is included. Okay. Yeah, so the prices look great. Very, very interesting. What about fuel flow or fuel costs, though? Because Fortunately, the Sonics have a relatively small fuel tanks. You know, the, 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 the legacy models are about 16 gallons, so obviously we'd like to put a, you know, a 300 horsepower engine in there, but we'd only have a 30 minutes flight time. Well, um, the fuel consumption is about equivalent to a Rotax IS, uh, which is about 20-25% lower fuel consumption than the regular Rotax. And that's for the which engine? The 107? Well, Horsepower to horsepower, yeah. so 100 horsepower versus 100 Rotax 912. And the IS is a very thrifty engine, so you're saying that yours is very thrifty as well. Yes. We actually, below a certain power setting, we run a lean of stoichiometric. And then full power, though, of course, we have to run rich of stoichiometric yeah. like anyway. So for the 107 horsepower, we're stocking something in the range of about six gallons an hour or five? Yeah. Hmm. Hard to say. <laughs> our, at our best fuel consumption, it's 0.39 pounds per horsepower per hour. Oh, now i got to get my calculator out. <laughs> yeah, but, but for comparison, you know, we, we don't have exact figures on the Jabber. We only estimate it at 0.45, and it's, I mean, you're 10% better than that, and that's and that's probably a bit optimistic than Jabber. Yeah, I think 0.39 to 0.45, that's, yeah, 
almost 15 percent better. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay, so you're, you mentioned the show special. Just just give us prices and just, if a builder is looking to buy the 150 horse and the accessories that you provide, what what does that look like? Okay, it's uh, I believe 11,995 for the standard one. It's 4,000 extra for the high performance. That's okay. the big issue. Yeah. Because uh, it's a lot of handwork. Um, then firewall forward, it's around 4,700, I believe. Okay. Right in the range with most kits, about 5,000 for a firewall forward. Or yeah. Yeah. But just doing the quick math here, um, that's still the price of that's less than the price of a Jabiru plus accessory. So you're very competitive with what is a very popular Sonics engine. So. Yeah. Also. Um, the Jabru, they have 120 horse, but that's at the 3300, which on the Sonax actually works fairly well because they don't have a lot of prop diameter. But generally, a slower um, prop is more efficient. Yeah. So we'll generally get significantly more thrust, uh, yeah. statically at least. Now, that's a good point. Would it be a problem to run a small diameter prop on a Sonics for ground clearance issues? If, if a customer said, I really want to stay with the same diameter prop, that's smaller than you typically would recommend, 54-inch diameter prop. Yeah, blade area. You have okay. to get a wide blade area propeller, not a problem. Okay. Uh, so, what would be the typical delivery times for order placement then? Well, that's a big... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, we hope to get it back under three months, but we're really struggling to keep up with the orders. We're, we were at six months before. Yeah. That's always good to hear in aviation. And, this is good. and we heard somewhere, Mark, that you have a soft spot for Sonics builders, so we would jump <laughs> to the front of the line, I'm, I'm sure. Um, I would probably be lynched. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm just going uh, to put this out there. If, uh, if there's any Sonics builders and really any Sonics pilots that are thinking about pulling off their existing Jabiru engines and perhaps integrating an upgrade with a B model, uh, they should come talk to Mark and buy a 150-horse engine. He'd be the fastest YX out there, or Sonics, I guess. John Gillis, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Mark, for talking to us. We appreciate it. We'll try to spread the word about your products for you. Thank you. I thank appreciate you very it. Much, bud. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. And I'm only partly joking. Um, our buddy John is looking to tear apart his flying YX and, uh, and and convert it to the B model, which has a little bit wider nose and a bigger, little more fuel. And, and so if he's if he's going to be that deep into a, an airplane, why not just sell his Jabru and we can talk him into putting a 150 horse on there? He's got to buy a new engine on anyway, so he might as well just absorb the cost. And he could probably sell it, sell his Jabru, and his out-of-pocket cost would only be a few thousand dollars. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to start messing with things. So yeah. when it, when a scraggly guy, fine. We, rate, we rate it 147. You know why? We want to make sure that we meet or beat every spec we say. Because okay. so many people have gotten the reputation of not quite delivering what they're promising. Yeah. So we promised 147. We may deliver 150, but I guarantee you we're going to deliver 147 that's or better. Know, yeah. 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 That's important to us. Yeah. yeah. I've had some personal experience with vendors like that. <laughs> so why? And that's why I don't want to be one of those. So when he comes to you, he's kind of tall, he's sandy blonde hair, kind of scraggly looking. He'd probably have a Sonics or YX t-shirt. Um, when he comes to you, you say, I was told to expect you. Come over here. Let me break it down for you. Just get your checkbook out, and we're going to take care of this on the spot. And uh, you will hook him up. We will serve him up like a fish to you. <laughs> We're ruthless, I got to say. <laughs>
This is John Gillis again, uh, Sonics Flight Podcast in the field. I'm at MGL Avionics with Matt. Lichnitsky. Lichnitsky. He's going to give us a little uh, insight of what's going on at uh, MGL and see if you guys want to uh, possibly put the, his uh, avionics in your Sonics. Well, yes. Thanks, John, for having me. And uh, still, our IEFAS Lite is a very popular choice among Sonics builders. The IEFAS Lite has built-in pedostatic sensors, a built-in GPS. Um, it's a full touchscreen moving map EFAS with uh, engine monitoring and everything that you need. And the beauty of having everything integrated into the display is that installation is about as easy as possible and, and easier than anything else that's out there. We still have the RDAC box that you install on the firewall and connect all the engine senders to. Um, but so altogether, it's, it's an extremely low cost package starting at around $4,500 and the easiest by far to install. Uh, this year at Oshkosh, we are displaying the new V16 10 watt com radio. It's a remote radio that is controlled by either a touchscreen Razor control head, three and an eighth inch, or a Vega uh, two and a quarter inch control head, both in full color. Um, and of course, it's completely controllable by the EFIS. Um, other products that we have new for Oshkosh uh, 2018 are the new Vega range of color singles, a range of uh, more than 10 color singles in a two and a quarter inch size. And then we are debuting the three and an eighth inch Blaze singles, uh, also in full color. So all of our singles are going full color. So if you want uh, just a standby G meter or a backup airspeed or altimeter, or if you want to have a simple panel just with uh, single gauges, uh, the the Vega and the Razor line of the Vega and the and the Blaze line of color singles are a great option. Uh, we're coming up to the 2020 mandate for the uh, ADSB. You guys got anything alignment? Uh, do you have anything to offer now? Well, we work very closely with UAVionics, and uh, they have some great, very low weight, low cost ADSB in and out transceivers, dual band, and they also have a compliant GPS. Uh, so we work with them because uh, their uh, their devices interface with the IEFIS. Um, we also have for anyone who wants a mode S transponder, we are also launching the the MGL SP12 uh, compliant GPS receiver, uh, which connects to the the IEFIS and then sends compliant GPS position to a mode S transponder like a, a Trig TT22. So we have that available. Uh, shipping in about a month as well for under $400. Now, for those of us who have the uh, the legacy extremes, um, is there any future on integrating any of that stuff into the new stuff you're, you're putting out? Uh, the extremes run, they're real nice systems that run standalone. Uh, there's no display for ADS-B on them, so there's no need to integrate. Um, so in, in an airplane that has the extreme as the primary uh, instrumentation, I recommend installing the UAVionics uh, Echo UAT ADSB in and out transceiver. It has a Wi-Fi antenna on it, and then uh, you know placing an iPad Mini or similar tablet in the cockpit and using that to display the traffic and the weather that the uh, UAVionics ADSB receiver provides. And that's what I'm doing in my Sonics with the my extremes. But idea. if I had it now, I'd probably go with the IEFIS. All right, Matt. Thanks a lot for your time. Um, you, enjoy the show and hope Appreciate you get a lot of interest. Appreciate it. Thank you so much.
right, so what you just heard was the Ford, I don't know what they're calling this thing, but it's, they've got a couple of Mustangs, they've got an enclosed, barricaded track, and they're doing drift cars, and they're giving rides to people. I don't know if they're paying for them or they're just plucking them out of the audience. But these cars are literally shoulder-to-shoulder, spinning around in figure eights in a track that's no bigger than a soccer field, drifting by, parking right next to the... You can reach out and touch the car, it's so close. Absolutely incredible driving. Really, really cool. expressed on the Sonic Select podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic's Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command.